you know, like you see a chef on Master Chef or Top Chef, or, and they're like, oh, I do both pastry and savory. And that's impressive. Now you add cannabis to that shit? Listen, <laughs> that is next level. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast where we talk about how marijuana legalization is changing Americans' lives. For our first episode, our guest of the day is one of the most revered cannabis chefs on the dial, Andrea Drummer, who makes food infused with the most controversial herb of the century, marijuana. I want to have a Michelin star as soon as we're able to have on-site consumption. Those Michelin star people better come and knock it. Since this episode is numero uno, let me just introduce myself and what we're all about. I'll make it quick, I swear. On the podcast, we're going to look at this historic moment of what it looks like when America peels back 100 years of prohibition on pot. Although, keep in mind, through all of these stories, pot is still illegal at a national level. I'm Jenny Kane, your host, but also a journalist for the Reno Gazette Journal and USA Today Network. And I write about weed, see also ganja, reefer, Mary Jane, cannabis, grass, 420, bud, etc. I am not a stoner, and you by no means have to be a stoner to listen to the podcast. This is a podcast where we're talking to a wide variety of people, cops, farmers, and today, a chef about how legalization is changing our lives, our country. We're kicking off the podcast with Andrea because she used to be anti-reefer, but like a lot of Americans, she changed her mind. In the US, 29 states, DC, Guam, and Puerto Rico have legalized pot in some form. Nine of these states and DC have legalized recreational marijuana specifically. Additionally, 61% of Americans now believe that pot should be straight up legal. That's double the percentage in 2000. Not only has popular opinion changed, but so has the product. If joints are old school, edibles are new school. While chefs have long flirted with everything from kava juice to puffer fish to moldy rye bread ugh, to induce a sort of high via munchies, Cannabis cuisine is riding the coattails of the increasingly popular new way of consuming pot, eating it. So without further ado, let's talk to Andrea about why she did a 180, why she cooks with weed, and why there's a lot at stake in her career path despite living in California, a state which legalized medical marijuana in 1996 and recreational marijuana in 2017. Just to give you a heads up, our interview is over the phone. So you may hear a bit of feedback every now and then. Sorry, rookie mistake. Tell me what it's like, or if, if you can, paint a picture of what it's like sitting at the table for one of your meals. Ooh, what does it look like sitting at the table for one of my meals? Um, I mean, it, it looks as if you're having dinner amongst friends. Um, but then the effects are different, of course. But I don't imagine any different than, I mean, of course, the feeling is different, but I, don't, I wouldn't imagine any different than if you were sitting having a course menu at a fancy restaurant and there were bottles of bubbly of wine flowing. And that's kind of the normalcy that I, I want to create around cannabis dining or, or just cannabis, period. 
Now, Andrea did not start by cooking with cannabis. Like a lot of people, she started with weed by getting a medical card. So, you know, you, you have all of these things kind of happening in like a tornado for me. So I come and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the cooking thing. I go to culinary school. I'm working in the kitchen. I get back injuries. I have arm injuries. And the doctors are prescribing me all of these many things that I refuse to take. The way I chose to medicate was cannabis. And I was like, everyone should have that option. Um, I don't particularly like the lighting up process. I think that develops, you know, in, maybe in a younger age, but at my age, it's like, I, I don't want to light up things at this juncture in my life. So I, I prefer to take my meds doing something I do every day, which is to eat. But getting to this comfort level with weed took Andrea a long time. See, before we talk about Andrea's career in the kitchen, we have to talk about her life before the kitchen. Andrea had grown up in a Southern Baptist family being told that drugs were bad news. No questions asked. There was a pivotal moment, however, in her childhood when she did, behind her beloved mother's back, as everyone does, smoke a joint with a boy, an older boy. It's not until now that my mother has a complete story of what happened. That day, she ended up going back to school high and paranoid. She ended up punching her friend because she was so paranoid, breaking her friend's glasses, and thereafter having to do community service hours at a local nonprofit thrift store. And the women there were so gracious, they would always send me over to the bookshelves. And I would go over to the bookshelves and they were like, sort the books, however so. And they didn't care. They really, I, I understood at some point that they really didn't care. They just wanted to keep me busy and kind of out of the way. But that was the best thing for me. So I read a lot that summer. And one of the books that I read was a book called Go Ask Alice. And this was about a young girl who was introduced to marijuana. And then she ended up, you know, graduating to heroin. And eventually Alice dies. It was kind of her diary, I believe. Um, so I thought... If I don't get my act together, if I ever smoke cannabis or partake again, I will end up like Alice with no real understanding of or not, 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 a, not so much not an understanding, but not taking into account that there are other variables in, in Alice's life. But I just thought so all of the rhetoric and the propaganda was believable for me. So I think. From there, that, that began my career in nonprofit. When Andrea talks about her career in nonprofit, she's talking about her time as a youth drug counselor. She spent years helping at risk children stay away from drugs, including pot. Oh, I've served from eight year olds to 18 year olds, um, just in different capacities in all of my career. Oh, all of the stuff. I told them all of the things. You know, you're going to end up like Alice, essentially. And this is bad for you. And, you know, you just say no. And I would have them sign contracts that you won't do drugs and you won't smoke marijuana. And, you know, you're going to stay a good kid. And all of these things, I, all of the things, I believe them. Um, I think that was, that's a part of the journey for me. 
is that I, being where I am now, I understand how that feels. I understand how it sounds to believe that. Um, but one of my last jobs, the last um, job that I had working with youth in that capacity in the you know, preaching that gospel, one of the young ladies who, you know, she was kind of deemed one of the good students. And she came in with this book, Go Ask Alice. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Years later, year, like, of course, many moons later. And I'm like, wow. And I shared with her my story. And she was like, well, you can read it, Miss Andrea. And I took it home and fingered the pages. And I was like, wow, you know, this is something. And I read that book in a night, in one night. And the feeling that I had that first time I read it was gone. Because by now, I, I had been, you know, you, you live, you grow, you have different experiences. And I wasn't so much believing the thing as much. And I think re reading the book for the second time, I was trying to revive something or rekindle that feeling because I was starting to feel burnt out and not like I was really reaching and not not really understanding what it was but there was some part of me not believing as much as I once had so I read it and I was like yeah I'm done and I think it was maybe two weeks later I turned in my resignation effective immediately I guess, was there any trigger to changing your perspective, do you think? Yeah, I mean, by this organization was in New York, in Brooklyn. And, you know, by now I'd lived in Philadelphia, you know, Miami, and now I'm in New York. And the majority of my friends are artists, and they are advocates for cannabis, and they all smoke on a daily and these aren't young people that are sitting on the couch doing nothing or lazy or committing crimes. These are all vibrant, artistic, just brilliant, smart intellectuals, you know. And I'm having conversations with them that I would have killed to have had with my friends back in South Florida. But we weren't engaging on this level. So I'm like, how is this feasible that this thing that I was told to stay away from is seemingly so enlightening for them? Now, don't get me wrong. I hadn't abandoned all of my Southern ways just as of yet. I was still judging them, even though I thought they were brilliant. <laughs> Your mother's voice was in there somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, there was this this contradiction. I had this internal dialogue going on and I was beginning to question things and beginning to question what I thought was truth. Um, and so there began a journey of rediscovery. Andrea ended up moving to LA and completely switching gears. At a fork in the road, she weighed the possibilities of pursuing fashion or food. But after an ex-boyfriend's mother told her she had a masterful palate, she chose food and attended the Cordon Bleu. Fast forward to 2015 Enter the infamous bruschetta. Well, it was a friend of a friend that this friend kind of, he gave a close friend of mine who was 
now my business partner, gave him some product and said, hey, I know Andrea is a chef. Do you think she can make some edibles? I've, someone had requested them. So I took it as a challenge. It wasn't anything that I had considered. Though by now, I was more versed with cannabis and kind of I'd done my research. I'm here in California, so I wasn't as adamantly or against it or not against it at all. So I took it as a challenge to be able to create um, the butter to begin that process of making those brownies. And I did. And according to them, they were good. But it wasn't a thing for, you know, I'm, I'm not, never been too much into um, pastries and, and sweets. So as I kept smelling it, and the strain that I'd used was Blue Dream. And I kept smelling the product, and I was like, oh, this smells so good. It, it, I'm sure it would be great on something outside of a cookie or brownie or chocolate. So, yeah, my uh, the, our other friend, who is the third business partner, <laughs> she said, um, we'll make something different. And I was like, okay. So I, I made bruschettas, and we partook in those heavily and it was a good night. (laughs) While Andrea initially tried the bruschetta on a whim, FYI, bruschetta is basically toast with basil and tomatoes, she started to see it as an opportunity. The more she thought about it, the more it made sense to her. Eating pot, in her opinion, was way more enjoyable than smoking it. And she figured there might be an entire market that was untapped. Not to mention serving pot on silver platters might change the narrative of weed and even change some people's minds about it. Who were your first clients? They were friends of friends. So it was very, it was kind of underground, if you will, you know, like that kind of secret society. But they were all, you know, forward thinking free people, you know, um, but millennials and kind of like the in crowd of of downtown, you know, just kind of movers and shakers, artists and just progressive young folk um, that all kind of wanted to be ahead of the curve in something, but didn't really have the means to pay for the curb. (laughs) Has that clientele changed? Absolutely. It's more, it's more diverse. It's a lot, still a lot of that, a lot of the same, you know, progressive free thinking types of people, but people that, that can, that do have disposable income and can indulge in a $200 meal, you know, um, and that understand its worth. Uh, so yeah, I get, I, I have a very diverse um, and eclectic group of people that dine with us. I had one client recently who had his 50th birthday and he's like, you know, not even a year ago, I would have been completely against this. And for him to seek me out and invite, you know, 10 of his other friends and and pay a, a pretty penny for my service and love it um, and be and be open-minded. It was like, yeah, this could happen. Like, we could have legalization on a national scale if 
someone like him and thus someone like me can turn the page and change our minds about, you know, our embedded beliefs about cannabis being a gateway drug, then we all should be able to. Part of the shift in clientele is partly because California has now legalized recreational marijuana and the U.S. is becoming more comfortable with legalization. If anything, the shift in opinion is reflected in Andrea's pay. Has it been profitable in the past, I would say in the past six months even? Um, I've gained a lot of notoriety and I, I greatly appreciate that, but when I first started, I had to beg people. I mean, we were literally like, just come, just come. I mean, you, you smoke weed every day. You roll over and you smoke. So just try it, you know, like try this course menu that is properly dosed. And we had to beg for $20, $30 for these meals. Um, whereas now, it's they cost a, a crap ton more. But... So it definitely wasn't um, an, any attempt to ride a gravy train. It was a many, many days that I was like, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this, does this make sense? And for me, it was more um, just, again, everyone should have the freedom to med- medicate as they see fit. And... And the, the social injustice component that I want to advocate for as well. When Andrea talks about social justice, she's talking about the fact that minorities really shouldered the bulk of imprisonment over marijuana crimes in the past century. And while it's awesome that new crowds are joining the culture, she wants them to know what other people went through to get to this point. Andrea noted, too, that while folks aren't getting thrown into the slammer for joints anymore, there is still a nature of secrecy that cloaks her career. She's had a legal business, Elevation VIP, but she still caters to folks who often don't want to be tagged on Facebook, and she still has to keep up with constantly changing rules that other businesses might rat her out for if she doesn't follow. Has the covertness of your job changed at all? Like, when you started out, did you have to be really secretive? <laughs> and has that changed at all um, in terms of like arranging these dinners and getting there with the food? It's funny. I, I feel like it kind of went. Um, it it kind of went back and forth. Like when I when we first started, it was very just very clandestine and you had to know somebody that knew somebody and you know there were secret knocks and all types of ridiculousness <laughs> were there actually secret knocks yeah <laughs> yeah really <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you had, there were passwords like we don't oh know my, you oh my goodness what are we what were some you. of the passwords or can we reveal those you know things with that on the menu like moho creole or black rice just random stuff uh, yeah, or a building downtown. Yeah, it was just random. Just... Um, so it went from that to, oh, you know, we're about to vote on these laws and in different states where it was happening kind of simultaneously. So there became this great interest and then everyone wanted to come to the thing and, and it was cool. Um, 
till now to now it's like hey hold off on all of those things because laws are changing and some people who were profiting majorly will be affected and that could affect you because they don't like that so so as not to compromise your standing um you may want to be quiet a bit <laughs> you know so yeah and then you know and then there was the 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 shift in people when i first started out a lot of my colleagues were still speaking in hushed tones like oh you know yeah i haven't told my parents yet and you know we were still kind of in the green closet if you will um till now it's like it's every it's all cool like even my family are they're very supportive and they don't mind giving me a book review or you know giving me the thumbs up on Facebook even though they're in ministry or something you know are your parents so, ministers yeah. my my father was in the ministry and my brother-in-law is in the ministry which my sister is as well she kind of co-ministers to him but yeah and my mother is like the first lady of the church or you know the the mother wow. of the church so yeah they they yeah when I go home I'm like okay I had to take my church stockings <laughs> <laughs> after I eat this bruschetta <laughs> exactly <laughs> Another change since legalization, fewer people seem to pork out at her table because they're more cognizant of how marijuana affects them and more educated about edibles in general. That includes Andrea. When Andrea started, she had to learn about dosages, portion control, and how to not get your clients overbaked. So one young lady was um, a, a big, great big fan of the bread pudding, and I had done, this was a, a brunch of it was a Valentine's Day brunch. And she was a fan of the bread pudding, which, of course, with edibles, um, the THC adheres more to fat and, and carbs. So it, that's always going to be high dosage, a higher dosage. And she was also a fan of, I did a mocktail that was, um, what was it? Uh, blood orange mimosa but it, there wasn't any champagne and it was just like a, a mocktail, but it was infused. And she just, you know, the recommendation was have one of this, have one of that. And, and she was just walking around snacking on everybody's things. Whereas everyone else was being kind of cautious, like, oh, you know, she had down like three, four of the, the blood orange mimosas. She'd eaten like five pieces of the, Within an hour, she was done for. She was calling on Jesus, Allah, the Most High God, Buddha, Jehovah. I was like, get her out of here. What is happening? And I was, um, I was, you know, that, it was one of those times where I was like, I don't know if we're doing the right thing. It didn't take Andrea long for her to squash her doubts. Now she gets to watch diners leave her table both enlightened and satisfied with her food. Speaking of food, we're not going to get into the weeds with all the strains and whether they go best with raviolis or kung pao chicken, but 
Andrea did give us a glimpse into her mind about how she operates in the kitchen with cannabis in hand. I know there are cer- certain dishes, and it's always the, the dessert course. But there are certain dishes that will taste more like the cannabis. Um, but for the, yeah, absolutely, I look at the cannabis as an ingredient, just as I would the basil on a bruschetta or oregano or thyme, you know? When I get a strain and I smell it, I smell the possibilities and what would this pair best with? So for me, it's an ingredient and I that's how I use it. Now, I know there are people, because of the um, how cannabis was historically, there are people that want to taste it. Um, I've, I've had that as a complaint and some of my, some of my menus, like I don't taste it enough. Um, but most people appreciate, I would say 99% of my diners appreciate the fact that it doesn't taste like overwhelmingly like marijuana, like weed, like, you know, you smell it before it gets to your mouth. Now, Andrea makes everything from pork roast to pies to cocktails. But I had to ask her, what was her favorite recipe? And and also, are you sick of making brownies? I think since 2012, I've made brownies three, maybe four times. It's just not my, I'm hard pressed to even come up with a dessert. <laughs> so I have adopt, adopted some of my family's recipes. I, I will say one of the things that intrigued me most is... Um, you know, people have food experiences and you have impressions of food, which may be good, bad, or indifferent, but the bad ones that their imprints left on you, like, oh, I hate Brussels sprouts, or I don't eat tomatoes, or I, or this, that, and third thing. And there are those things that I had as a young person. Brussels sprouts was one, bread pudding was another, and um, pecan pie. So what I, one of my favorite things is to recreate or reinvent these things that makes it palatable and decadent and delicious that kind of changes your food memory or give you a different experience of the thing. So that's one of my favorite things to do beyond creating recipes. I think that is, to do that for a person is such a gift, you know, and that was a, that's a reoccurring theme at my tables. I hear people all the time. It's like, I don't like okra, but this is amazing. Well, then you like okra. You just have, (laughs) you just have a food memory that wasn't so good. Um, and pecan pie. I, I made a pecan tart at the last table that I did and it was delicious. I got like a standing ovation and it's something that I was like, Ugh. whereas when I, when I would see it show up at a table, I'd be like, this is absolutely disgusting. Why would anyone want to eat this thing? Um, but it was a thing. I'm from the South. And bread pudding. It's like, why would anyone want to eat wet bread? It's disgusting. But I came up with a way to introduce it where it's palatable and I, I put a brulee top on it and 
made it like a custard. And yeah, so those are the, the things that I like to really do for my guests. I mean, of course, I, I try to be inventive and I try to um, refine Southern cooking, Creole, and, you know, integrate some of what was familiar for me back home, like Jamaican and Haitian cuisine and Cuban food. Um, again, stepping outside of my box and not just going with the norm or places that I've traveled. You know, I've had people say, you cook some of the best Thai food that I've ever had. I've never been to Thailand. I just know I like the damn food. It's that. It's just offering different experiences and, and bringing us together in two phenomenal, phenomenally, like, um, not just cerebral, but, you know, like a communal experiences, which is food and cannabis. So to bring those two things together and to... Oh, in an attempt to offer that is as divine. And that's what I'm here for. Is there any starter step or uh, recipe? Like maybe just grilled cheese or <laughs> I don't know. Grilled cheese is the worst idea. Like the worst, like, the worst <laughs> idea. That bread is going to soak up that butter and you will be flying high. I did that too. I did a, a grilled cheese and... I think it was like an artichoke soup. Like I had a, yeah, that was a bad idea. And I only had like a quarter of the sandwich and yeah. So yeah, absolutely no to that. Cause, because um, it clings to carbs and fats, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we want something not fatty and not carby. Not too fatty. I would say really understand your product, understand, um, the THC levels in your product and do the math. So understand that your dosage and from there you can navigate, you know, like whatever you cook, you can navigate that. I think when I first started, yeah, I went to Le Cordon Bleu. So we used a lot of butter and you can't just correct something by putting more cannabis butter in it. So that would be my number one thing. Beyond a first thing to cook is the first thing that you really must know to cook and understand inside and out is your product. The butter, even if you get it from a different place, a different source, know the THC levels and know how to dose, dose what, you're, what you're cooking. Because I probably would have been better served had I understood that when I made that grilled cheese. <laughs> so maybe the grilled cheese isn't a bad idea. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast, a product of the Reno Gazette Journal and the USA Today Network. I'm your host and producer, Jenny Kane. My editors are Kelly Scott and Brian Dugan. A million thanks to Andrea, who I secretly just wanted to ask about food the whole time, but then we would not have learned about secret knocks and 180 job changes. We also owe a nod to USA Today's Shannon Green, who has helped the podcast become a reality. Before we let you, the audience, go, if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll send you a kosher Tillamook cheddar grilled cheese on the house. Just kidding, we totally won't, but we'll be super grateful, especially if you subscribe, because then you'll never miss an episode. 
like next week when we talk to the jolliest sheriff I have ever met, and he is grappling, like many cops, with how to deal with pot now that it's legal in his town. In, in the, uh, the event of, let's say, you're driving down the street and I stop you, and there you have it, just a small amount of marijuana. That's not a probable cause to search your car. Okay. However, if you roll down your window and there's smoke rolling out, such as in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, that's a bit of a problem. If you want more stories about people who just love weed for so many reasons, check out another podcast. It's called Stoner. It is by stoners for stoners. On the other hand, we also hope you keep listening to us. If you want to reach out, drop a line at podcast at gannett.com. That's P-O-T-C-A-S-T at G-A-N-N-E-T-T dot com. Or message us on Instagram or Facebook at the Podcast Podcast page. There are a few other podcasts out there. Make sure you look up Podcast Podcast. Thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you next week.